Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 218 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today we have two wonderful guests. First, we have Morgan Billinger. In 2016, Morgan obtained her Bachelor of Health Science in Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Florida. She went on to obtain her Master's of Science in Speech and Hearing Sciences at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. As a new grad, she was hired at Longwood Regional Medical Center, Comprehensive Stroke Center, and Level 2 Trauma Center, where she completed her CFY. Following completion, she was hired on as a full-time SLP at Blake Medical Center, located in Bradenton, Florida, where she currently practices as an acute care therapist. Her clinical interests include dysphagia, acquired cognitive communication disorders, and facial burns and burn scar management. And our other guest is Lori Skinner. She's an SLP graduate from Purdue, class of 2000. She's worked in all facets of the continuum of care, including inpatient rehab, skilled nursing, home health, outpatient, and acute care, including the trauma and burn patient populations. Following graduation, Lori served as, as, as speech pathology manager for Villa Maria Nursing Home and St. Catherine's Inpatient Rehab Hospital in North Miami Beach from June 2000 to May of 2003. In May of 2003, Lori served as director of rehab and outpatient clinical services for St. Catherine's Rehab Hospital at St. Anne's Nursing Center. In spring of 2007, Lori resigned her position following the birth of her daughters and continued PRN for a couple of years prior to moving back to her hometown of Bradenton, Florida, with her husband and three daughters. Lori began work for Brookdale as an SLP, serving skilled nursing facilities, assisted living, and independent residents. In September 2015, Lori found a job she plans to do for the remainder of her career with HCA Florida Blake Hospital. Lori has become a primary therapist in the evaluation and treatment of the burn patient population for the past six years, often collaborating with PTOT, nursing, and medical management team to maximize outcomes. She, with her colleague Morgan, have developed a tool to standardize the evaluation of patients with face, head, and neck burns to guide the method of collection of objective measurements and documentation to enhance justification for treatment. Lori has initiated an initiative to educate and train SLPs interested in the hands-on evaluation and treatment of patients with burns to head, face, neck, and even upper chest. Her ultimate goal is to promote inclusion of speech-language pathology and the, and the ability to become a certified burn therapist via the American Burn Association. And uh, we split this um, episode into two parts uh, because there's so much information. Lori and Morgan are um, just, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful clinicians. And I just love everything they had to say. And they just provide so much value in this episode. Um, and I hope anybody that works in 
acute care or with patients with burn, um, please feel free to reach out to them because they are a wealth of information. So hope you all enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old-school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Lori and Morgan. Good morning. Good morning, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited for this conversation. It is going to be, it's going to be wonderful. Um, So yeah, Morgan, why don't you start us off, tell the people a little bit about yourself and how this, how this episode came to be. Sure. Um, So my name is Morgan Billinger. I'm a speech language pathologist working in a level two trauma hospital located in Bradenton, Florida, by the name of Blake Medical Center. And um, my colleague and I, Lori Skinner, were actually attending a symposium um, for treatment and evaluation of complex burns earlier this year. And um, we were in a auditorium with people from all over the country ranging from OTs to PTs to nurse practitioners to surgeons. And we were the only speech language pathologists there. (laughs) And we were looking around thinking to ourselves, well, why is that? (laughs) Um, And then also, as we had a chance to speak to other health professionals, we noticed that um, the consensus really for the presence of speech language pathology in the burn intensive care unit was more traditional sense of dysphagia management, communication, especially after prolonged intubation versus tracheostomy, and then also kind of cognitive therapy, likely in the setting like of anoxic brain injury. And we thought to herself, well, if it's been that traditional, and yet there's ABA certification or American Burn Association certification for just physical therapists and occupational therapists, what is keeping us from doing that and providing that in our scope of practice? And so here we are. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. How did this episode happen, Morgan? After the symposium, Lori and I sat down and maybe had a glass of wine (laughs) and discussed um, what we could do, what we could bring back to our hospital and also bring to our field. I'm going to fangirl a little bit because I've been listening to your podcast since I was in grad school, which was not that long ago. And I know you speak about dysphagia island and how we're all spread out (laughs) on these individual islands. And so if dysphagia management is an island, then burn evaluation and treatment is a deserted island and that there really aren't too many therapists out there or really any protocols out there, especially in the United States. There are some um, internationally. And so we're hoping to shape the field and bring awareness and hopefully get therapies together to collaborate with each other. Amazing. 
Yeah. So, so what I meant by that was you literally just sent me an email and said, this is what I'm working on. Are you interested in this topic? And I was like, yes. So I have people that email or, you know, they'll, they'll say things to me like, how do you, how do I get on your podcast? Or how do people get on there? You just ask, you come with a great topic and you ask. So kudos to you, Morgan. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> All right. Lori, who are you? I am Lori Skinner. I've been in the field for many years. Um, approximately five years ago, we started to get involved collaborating with OT and PT after starting a burn center. We're one of six in the state of Florida has never, was never on my scope. Um, never thought I would ever be working with patients with burns. And we started to this collaboration with OT and PT because These burns, especially when they're large burns and involving the head, face, neck, and even upper chest, why are we not in there working on these, this healing process and evaluating these patients and predicting where they're going to have problems down the line with speech, with swallowing, with visual scanning in the environment, all these things that we would cover for a patient that had had a stroke or some other neurological injury, why aren't we doing it with soft tissue injury? So I, along with our supervisor, first started out um, because we were willing to do it. I'm myofascial trained um, for myofascial release. Um, I don't mind touching patients. I don't mind the manual part. So it was just a natural fit. And here we are, a little more than five years later, And just kind of pushing the envelope of what we can do here and being innovative and taking care of these patients that need us so badly. So the OT and PT, they need to work on the other parts of the body and that movement as much as possible. When we went to that symposium that Morgan spoke of, the OTs and the PTs, and especially the OTs seem to get stuck with the head. Um, They were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because we need help. Like, how are you stretching them out? How are you positioning them? What are you doing for the ears? What are you doing for the nose? So we shared all that information and, but we're very surprised that they didn't, you know, and we did encourage them, get your speech pathologist, get them in there, get the ones that are willing to get in there because burn population, I think is especially hard to work with for many reasons. There's a lot of pain involvement. There's a lot of of things that people just are not used to seeing and they don't, or smelling even, you know, that you, it's hard to be up in that unit at times, but you know, there, there are people just like in, on all, all of the units, there are those special therapists that, that they are just, you know, able to fit into that little niche and you just got to find them. I love that you said that, Lori, I can honestly, of all the people I've spoken to and doing the podcast, doing the collective, everything, my, you know, entire network, I know of two SLPs that work in burn units. So, and I can name them, you know, if people said, Oh, do you know any SLPs that work in burn units? Yes. I know this person and this person and that's, and now I can add you two, but you know, how crazy is that? That there's such a need for us in this area. And it just, it really involves, you know, some gusto from you guys to create the program, but, but this is awesome. And Lori, would you share a little bit about what you shared off camera or off, you know, offline before we started. I just, I love how you and Morgan have come together like peanut butter and jelly here. That's, yeah. That's we, what I love. Yeah. We are like, we're just the marriage of years of experience coming in with technology 
uh, understanding and use, and we travel well together, we collaborate well together. I, you know, I said that she's, I know she's a fan of your podcast um, from grad school. When I was in grad school, we didn't have podcasts. So that's, you know, really amazing. But I, you know, at this point in my career, where I feel I'm probably going to be at Blake for the rest of my years, I love it here. We have an amazing team. And I, we live here, we have teenagers. And so we're going to just be here for the, you know, the rest of our days, probably as home base. But I probably would not have, even though I'm involved in treating these patients, evaluating these patients, and I had, you know, you have this information in your head, but I probably wouldn't have taken the initiative to move forward, to spread the word and educate and just share information and what we've done here until I met Morgan and we started doing this together. And we just have that opportunity at that symposium to be there alone together without any other distractions, no work, no kids, no significant others, and sit and go, you know, why, why is it we're the only two speech pathologists here? And what could we do? And, you know, you have that glass of wine and you get crazy and think you can just Take it take to the over world. the world. <laughs> yes, and you can. World. I love it. I love and it. So I love it, it is. So it, it really, if it wasn't Morgan, it probably wouldn't have happened. So awesome. I just feel awesome. like we just, we are peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was talking about that on an earlier episode too. It's like, I just think the perfect marriage in this field is just, you know, an older experienced clinician that understands the inner workings of some of these big medical centers. And then a young, fresh SLP out of grad school that has, you know, all the, motivation and the technical experience to make it happen. And I think, you know, I've talked to so many, I, I say couples, you know, pairs of, of <laughs> SLPs like that. Yeah, yeah. Pairs of SLPs like that, that have just been able to work wonders <clears throat> together. So I just always yeah. encourage, you know, if you're an older clinician, find a younger buddy. If you're a younger clinician, find an older buddy. It's <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into this. So where, yeah. where should we start you guys? I'm going to let Morgan's going to start uh, our introduction that we present with our, when we, pre- we have our slideshow. So we have our slide deck awesome. and put that together when we do it. And we use that as a guideline. So we're going to use, kind of go off of that. So ultimately I'm kind of referring back to um, a little story about us being at a major symposium. We wanted to bring speech language pathology into the ICU, especially the burn ICU in a non-traditional sense. Because our hospital is uh, one of six burn ICUs or having, excuse me, burn ICU um, in the state of Florida, any new burns that come in have to be seen within 24 hours as part of the ABA um, certification. And so we are basically asking that if we have a new evaluation or a new um, patient with an oral facial burn for us to get in there right with the PTs, right with the OTs, and to at least lay eyes on them and see, okay, you know, how significant is their burn? Where is their burn? Um, What plan interventions are um, scheduled? Are they intubated? Is there a question of inhalation injury? And so we're going to get a lot more into that as we go into this protocol an evaluation that we have. So I'll um, turn it over to Lori to discuss kind of the beginning stages and what we're looking at when we have these patients come in. So when we get uh, a new burn patient in and we're trying to get up there, the goal is to get up there within 24 hours, even over the weekend, which was what really kind of helped drive this protocol was so that we could train 
all of our speech pathologists to be able to pick, pick this protocol up and the materials that you need and go up and do the evaluation, regardless if you are a identified burn therapist or burn speech pathologist. So, you know, what is a burn? Uh, Magnani et al. 2019 um, is a lesion to organic tissue caused by traumas of different origins. And those mechanisms of those injuries and burn types really vary, and some of them are not burns. You know, the burn types are the thermal, the chemical, radiation, and electrical burns, which we have seen them all at our burn center, treated them. But you have to also consider some of the patients that end up in the burn ICU are not burns. They're necrotizing fasciitis, they're Steven Johnson syndrome, um, they're really severe road rash that require uh, debridement and replacement of some skin product. And then also another mechanism is a different type of trauma. I had a little run for a while in our outpatient burn clinic of dog bites to the mouth for some reason, these little dogs, I guess they like to bite mouths. And um, these are two young, beautiful women with really pretty significant scarring. Um, But we were able to help manage that to maintain function and also help with the uh, cosmetic feature, because even though that's not our, not our, uh, one of our goals, we do always in the back of our mind, know that there, the social component of that that you do have to keep that in mind. Uh, I think we think about it even when we're doing exercises for symmetry after neurological injuries. So there's there's those different mechanisms. um, And then I'm going to turn it over to Morgan Lair, talk to you a little bit about inhalation injury, and then we'll come back to some different types of abnormal scarring that can occur. Um, So when we are evaluation, excuse me, evaluating our patients, uh, we also want to know if there's any inhalation injury. And so um, some of those components to look for on a physical exam would be like nair, soot in the nose, if they've got uh, carbaceous sputum, which is um, sputum with soot or um, burnt material in it, uh, hoarseness, difficulty breathing, uh, swelling. And so with those patients, it's very important to note what symptoms and what signs of inhalation injury, because those patients can go from asymptomatic to uh, needing to be orally intubated with mechanical ventilation a short period of time. Um, so ongoing assessment is very important. And there is a higher rate of silent aspiration from a dysphagia management um, side for our patients with inhalation injuries. So they're really at the top of our radar among our patients without inhalation injury, but a red flag usually goes off in our head because they're needing excuse me, surgical intervention and and possibly oral intubation prolonging their inability to swallow, inability to communicate, and so on. So when we go in and do start do our evaluations, of course, we're initially doing that medical review. We're looking at the electronic medical record from the time that they get in to the ED um, and looking at total body surface area, course, we're looking at whether or not they had an inflation injury, their general medical background, as we would usually do that medical review. But we are also looking at where are they in their, their recovery, because from the moment they come in now, 
we're now looking at, we're assessing them, but we're looking at where are they? Are they in acute renal failure? Are they filled with fluid? Have they gone for surgery and had debridement? And then we also want to know what products they have on them, if they have any products on them. And we want to know if they are a stage one, two, or third degree burn, or some describe even a fourth that gets down into muscle and bone. But we know that those first degree burns, that's like a bad sunburn, are not typically going to scar. So those are not going to be someone that we, we're going to go in and maybe lay eyes on them, educate them of what they can look out for, do our other assessments if there is dysphagia or swallowing difficulties or speech difficulties or cognitive deficits. But we are not going to be concerned for scarring. If there are a um, second degree burn, typically those do not result in hypertrophic scarring, which is that really built up stiff uh, scar that results as um, the body sending collagen fibers to the injury area. But we have seen and and have doc there is documentation and we have seen them here deep second degree burns can result in that hypertrophic scarring which is what we're trying to avoid which is the cause of the disabilities that we ultimately see as a result of lack of movement but definitely with third degree burns we expect it these are getting down into those bottom layers of the skin the body will send collagen fibers to that area It's typically laid down in a crosshatch like rebar under concrete. It's what makes the scar and the skin stable. So it keeps it from, and the unfortunate part is it keeps it from moving. So what we want to do from very early on is be aware of that so that we can start moving that tissue as allowed by the surgeon and the team based on what's going on on the skin. So we have to make note of all those things. But we use that information that we get to write then write our goals so that we're writing them because the always the goal is to preserve as much normal or functional movement as possible, depending on the different areas of the head, face, and neck. And it's important to note that as much experience as as Lori has and a little bit of myself as well, historically, there's no layout to this. Um, There is no protocol available other than clinical experience. And so a lot of what has happened and what has been provided and, and documented in research is clinical practice, but there's no research on the efficacy. And so that would be great <laughs> um, to, to have something like that come down the pipeline next for us to be able to do. But I'm hoping that as more and th- more therapists come together and can collaborate with each other and connect with each other, you know, we can share, you know, what's happening in New York, what's happening in California, what's happening in Texas in these large metropolitan areas where there's burn centers to bring them together and to develop some kind of standardization. So that, like Lori said, if you come in and you go through a competency and you're signed off after seeing a certain amount of patients, that you can come in and know exactly what you're going to be doing and what you're going to be evaluating and measuring and 
forming your goals for. So that's what we're hoping. Um, but historically, a lot of the research that is out there for management related to oral facial contractures is manual and um, passive and active range of motion for the, the mandible for mouth opening and mouth closure. But we know that there is a risk for feeding deficits. We know there's risk for articulation deficits, um, inability to maintain airway patency, feeding deficits, communication, difficulty with head and neck range of motion. You can have difficulty scanning your environment, auditory deficits related to contractures of the ear folding on itself. There's just so much out there. And as speech language pathologists dealing with the head and the neck, we should be working on these things. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to see what you create out of all this, Morgan. So we developed a a two-part protocol for our our team here. So we have in our system, we have speech language slash cognitive evaluation. That's one of our forms in our electronic system. And then the other is a clinical dysphagia evaluation. So what we did is we went through what are what we want to capture about a burn patient, and then we fit it into, we designed a protocol to fit it into our existing documentation. So this is how we split this up. As we said, um, we have split our burn evaluation guidelines into two separate parts. Um, the first being what our system or electronic medical record system of Meditech uses or calls the clinical dysphagia eval. And then we have a speech and language evaluation. So the clinical dysphagia eval in the setting of of working with this population would include a chart review based off of the mechanism of injury. If there was any kind of inhalation injury or signs of inhalation injury upon admission, we do like to include the total body surface area of the um, patient and the effect that may occur after they've gone through serial um, debridements as well as other surgical interventions because that can often change. So if someone comes in and let's say they're five to six total body surface area as they go through and continue several surgeries, it might get, there might be a spike in the number, let's say um, 10 to 12 or something like that. Um, We're looking at the burn degree and types and also um, where the grafting or uh, burn injury location has occurred. With our initial evaluation, we do have basically like a, a picture of the face or a diagram of the face that has specific borders and landmarks to identify. For example, um, the philtrum, if we're looking at the vermilion border, the oral commissures, and we're looking at the, the na- nasal bridge. So what we're doing is shading in those areas writing what kind of intervention has been provided, for example, some kind of skin substitute. And we want to um, talk about the possibility for the development of disability related to those burns. So if it is a burn that has involved the um, vermilion border or past the vermilion border, there is a risk for development of oral contractors, especially within the anterior commissures. So we really want to highlight that and have the documentation to reflect why we're working on what we're working on. The way that we go about that is we also um, take measurements as 
able or as available as possible. Some of our patients come in the first day and are orally intubated, and that would be a contraindication to do any kind of range of motion um, related to the to the mouth. But eventually, once they're extubated, we do want to see what level they're working at and beginning at so that we can build goals from that and achieve, you know, a a normal mouth opening. Um, So we typically use and have been using um, goniometry. And the great thing about our hospital is we have um, the means for a lot of interdisciplinary collaboration. Um, We have a basically a burn team. And for our therapists that are going through the burn competencies, we do have a hands-on portion where we have a physical therapist come in and basically one-on-one teach us how to use goniometry. Because again, this is not something that um, you get in grad school, let alone any kind of clinical practicum. So that's very important. That's fantastic. We also, yeah, look at mouth opening and um, typically with the uh, use of the therapy measuring tool, to identify maximal interstitial opening. And then we will go off of the norms for like a grade one or grade two trismus. Um, we still look at facial symmetry. We talk about where the burns are, what the skin substitute looks like. Is it wet? Is it hard? Is it flaking off? Does it appear to be tight or is it, you know, movable or malleable? And we still look at lingual range of motion, looking at coordination, velar elevation, vocal quality, presentation of the uvula, we still do a a full clinical dysphagia exam um, or evaluation, but there's just some slight differences between the two compared to if somebody did not come in with burns. And something that I want to just really note is that there are correlates in this population for the amount of time that person has been intubated for, if there is a presence of inhalation injury, um, because they are, those patients are more susceptible to silent aspiration. And then also the amount of time it takes to PO intake, as well as um, to return to their pre-morbid diet consistency. So there's a lot of great research um, out there. And a lot of it is actually coming out of Australia. So doing our best and hoping to to coordinate and collaborate a little bit more um, from that side of the hemisphere moving forward. Awesome. This is fantastic work, Morgan. Thank you. Thank you so much. So when we talked about the speech language evaluation, we pull all of that information forward because there is some overlapping in what we're doing. So we're working on the mouth of speech and it's swallowing. So we, but we, we use like the, the labial stretching and the management of that burn scar formation. We cover that under our dysphagia component. So then that we can also, we can cover other areas for the speech language evaluation. And I know that I went through pretty quickly about some of the th- areas that we're looking at. One was the eye. So we talk about periorbital burns and we don't, we're not necessarily taking measurements, but we do note reduced eye either opening, closure, or um, abnormal tension, which will pull the eyelids into an outward roll typically. And we want to note that of importance, if you have burns to the skin overlying the buckle muscle musculature and cheekbones 
that will cause tension on the eye. So they still are at risk, even though technically, you know, some of our people come in, they've had sunglasses on. So their eyes were preserved. However, the tissue around it did, did suffer burns. We need to still address the eye movement because the tension on the skin is going to still cause the same type of potential visual perceptual loss because of loss of their basic uh, eyelids being able to open completely or close completely. So when we write a goal for that, it might look like, sound like, or read like, I should say, periorbital burn management, um, our patient will participate in management of periorbital burns, targeting potential burn scar formation and loss of visual perception. And so when you're, when you're writing your, your, what you're observing in your evaluation, you're always thinking about this is going to be a goal at the end. So this is what my goal is going to be in regards to anterior lateral or posterior neck burns. We discuss passive and active range of head and neck range of motion. So we always kind of put that in together because they are a unit And we do have norms for those. We have norms for rotation. We have norms for flexion, for extension, and for right and left lateral flexion. And we want to look at, and this is where it's two person using the goniometer that has been trained. So you know what your landmarks are. So you know you're you're actually measuring the true degree of movement. But you know that in the beginning, Actively, what can they do? Typically, passively, when you give a little bit of manual assist, if they can tolerate it, you can get a little further. So we're measuring that over time. And then a goal um, might look like patient will participate in active and passive range of motion targeting head and neck movement for increased mobility and skin pliability. In addition to that, which we kind of we do use this intermittently. It depends on the patient and where they are in their um, healing process. We would also include then patient will participate with varying forms of burn scar management, including but not limited to compression, oliva fabric, wear times, massage, and exercise. So, and those are blankets. So that would cover where, whatever it is that we are, whatever area we're addressing. So those are just some examples. And of course, we always have the goal of patient will participate with ongoing assessment to uh, manage burn scar formation. Yeah. Right. And then that goal always, I, we talked about Morgan and I always talk about, you know, it's the same methodology as you would apply to a, a patient you see to evaluate for a stroke. You're looking at their injury, which in this case is a burn. What is their potential disability that is going to can come from it? And then what is that going to look like for a functional loss? And so that anterior neck burn, that's the injury. The the disability is loss of movement or tension on the jaw, which is that jaw malalignment, that kyphosis we talked about, which is that shoulder rolling forward, the jutting head, because that tissue is compressing, compressing in the front of the neck and chest. So what is that potential functional loss? Chewing, speech, swallowing, because you're 
your head is now out of neutral position. So it's going to throw off your pharyngeal function potentially and decreased volume of our breath support. So then you potentially also can develop into swallowing, right? Because you have decreased subglottal pressures because you can't take in a deep enough breath to have that positive pressure during the swallow and also uh, likely hypophonia. So we want to look at all those things along the way. And then, you know, and conversely, you should be able to work your way back. So what is the functional loss? What is that disability? And what was that injury? And where are we in the healing? So it kind of goes back and forth and it changes throughout the course of their stay. We've had patients stay here, of course, months because we not only have ICU, we have a step down burn unit and we also have an inpatient rehab and we have outpatient. So we see them for a long time. I've had one that I've, we actually became friends because it's so personal and she was here for almost a year and had to come back for some revision surgeries. And we just stayed in touch and she's the most incredible person. I've one of the most incredible people I've ever met, but you know, you see it, you see it over time and you get to see what works and what doesn't work. And you have to be honest about that and go back and do that. Like, did I, did I solve one issue and create another issue? Because I've, I've encountered that with a very severe third degree head and neck burn. And we were so concerned about making sure her mouth could open because the burn was so bad. Then later we had to worry about getting it closed. Yeah. So not only is there a trismus, but there's also a malocclusion, which you think is not, doesn't go together, but with burn population, it does go together. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about what we decided to do in our speech language evaluation. So when we look, we look at some different areas. So when I went in, I'm looking at um, things that have to do with auditory, with speech production, with pragmatics. So under the auditory comprehension assessment, I include information about the ear. So the ear, um, I would note if the ear is burned, I would want to note if the external auditory meatus is burned or swollen or occluded. So we would look at measuring that. We would take pictures after having consent with um, part of our, we use a therabyte. Um, so I would use the straight edge of a therabyte, which is a mouth opening uh, tool about out from oral stretch is the company. And we did have permission to use that. So, and to use that in our presentations. Um, so we'd use the straight end to capture. And usually this is, if this is a very intense burn, this is a two person job. So we'll go up together because somebody has to help position the patient you have to get the measuring device at the right location. And you're making note of that. Where did you take the measurement? Did you take it vertically? Um, Did you take it horizontally? And note some landmarks so that you can be consistent over time, because this is an ongoing assessment. Because we want to note, is the opening getting smaller? Is it getting bigger? Are we maintaining it in your goal section of that part, targeting the auditory component? You're going to note what you're trying to prevent. You're trying to prevent loss of, of hearing. So you're, you are documenting and you are stating why 
you as a speech pathologist are going to be splinting ears because, you know, typically that's not something that's within our realm, but you're doing it because you're trying to preserve auditory comprehension. In addition to that, you're going to note the length of the oracle, which we have we have examples on our protocol of where to take those measurements. So we're all being consistent. You're also going to document um, from the mastoid process um, to the ear, what is the projection length? So we're, we want to make sure because ears are very pliable. Um, if they're ill positioned in the bed, sometimes they contract down because of the burn, but they also, you cannot put any pressure on the ear because then you will get You'll get the ear pressed against the skull. You'll get loss of that projection, which ultimately can result in loss of hearing acuity. But also we talked about cosmetically, you're going to have that asymmetry, which does affect our patient socially. Uh, The burns are hard enough, even if they heal well. So we're going to go in and we're going to take the pillow out from behind somebody's head. We're going to discuss with the the nurses and the team staff about not having anything compressed on the ear, keeping the patient in on supine at midline to make sure that they are not having those types of complications. Under the visual spatial assessment section of our evaluation, we note periorbital burns. Um, These types of burns can cause contractures, which can lead to ptosis, which is the inability to open the eye all the way. It can also result in endotropion, ectotropion, which is rolling in and out of the usually the lower lids. So if you get facial burns around the eye or even below it within like the buccal area, um, the forehead, it can cause tension on those um, on the eyelids. So we do want to assess for that. And we include those types of terms when we're writing the goal. So we would want to write for periorbital burn management via manual and um, treatment with like we have a leave fabric is one that we use here, which is a silicone fabric, very flexible. It helps reduce scarring, which that's treatment, which is a whole other discussion. But we would include those types of things related to, you know, all of these things we're going to use related to the prevention of and then list out all of the different types of eye opening disorders that can result of it because we're trying to prevent that. So we just, we lay down all those terms on our protocol for all the speech pathologists to have that to reference, because it's a lot, it's a lot to remember. And it's things that we don't typically use. Pragmatic section, we, I note that they're at risk for hypomimia related to burn scar formation. And we would then write our goals for facial expression and for manual assistant for active and passive range of motion for facial tissue. And then the last one on a speech pathology one is kind of a big one. It's, it's under speech production and under speech production, we cover a lot. We talk about, which this is also going to be in the swallowing about jaw opening movement, active range of motion. We measure head flexion, head extension, head flexion laterally and rotational turn. And when, when you look at what the goal would look like, it would be treatment targeting head and neck 
rotation for adequate visualization or environmental scanning. So it would be for safety. It's also going to be for speech production because they're at risk, especially with lower face, anterior neck, lateral neck, posterior neck, and anterior of the chest. We pretty much are, we ask our team if they're burned nipple up, then we are getting uh, consulted for speech. Because if you think about how, if you get a burn, even on the chest, that this is going to impact neck turning because all of our skin is connected. So you can move skin on your hip and have skin on your chest move. So we want to be able to address all that to teach them how to manage that because you can end up with kyphosis, which is can impact the swallow, but it also will impact breathing. So we're also talking about voice and also jaw malalignment, which is going to impact swallowing and speech. And then also the nares. We measure the nares because this will impact um, breath support, which we write that goal. It is for speech, for production, for vocal volume. So we just had to be very creative about where are we going to fit these things in so that we can address them and have appropriate goals that are specific to speech pathology to justify why we're in there treating these patients. Right. And then, yeah. And then we're using those, we're using different scales. We use the goniometer. This is where you have to collaborate with your OTs and PTs to do head, neck, head and neck movement so that you're getting true measurements and you're getting that good degree of, you know, you're getting a true, true measurement of where you're starting and what your goal is. So it's, that was, that's an essential part of we, uh, we had to use to develop our protocol was to collaborate um, so that we're, you know, an efficient part of the team and, and really getting good information so we can track progress over time. Yeah, this, this is amazing, you guys. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.